start. starts. And I should close this Wikipedia page on Robert Mugabe because you I should. don't need it anymore. Mm. Well, you never know. You never know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's Friday, June 23rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Newsuur Fact Checker. With me today is uh, Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and a favorite of Dutch nobility. Mm. Um, Gordon, your job title uh, borders on one of the items we have uh, uh, later in the podcast on um, uh, international students at Dutch universities, I think. Kind of, Um, yeah. Kind of, yes. Um, tell us what that's uh, what that's all about, because you've been um, you've been shared wildly by uh, uh, on Dutch social media this week, right? I wrote a piece for Dutch News about the experience of expats in Amsterdam and the fact that the um, the mayor of Amsterdam had made some comments about expats not integrating properly and kind of playing up to stereotypes a lot. Um, so I yeah I wrote a piece really pointing out that a lot of these stereotypes don't add up and that yeah integration is a two way street and uh, it needs a bit of input from the uh, from the municipality municipality as well but this was picked up by uh, a number of uh, Dutch commentators including uh, Sander Schimmelpenik who is a guy who uh, yeah he's, he's, he's very active on social media he is as you say f- from the Dutch nobility I'm not quite, quite sure uh, why but he's a commentator in Defaultskant I think he's also on television a lot he does adverts for likes of investment funds as well he's <laughs> yes. everywhere basically he's, he's everywhere, everywhere yes. on Twitter and he does uh, he attracts a lot of trolls because he's quite aggressive and punchy in his tweeting style uh, so the, once he shared it, it really kind of took off and yeah. got a lot of uh, comments. Uh, some, yeah, you know, a mixed bag. Some positive, some negative, some constructive, some not so. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it, it meant that uh, yeah, it really gave it a showcase. Um, yes, so. Sander Schimmelpenning, uh, yeah, as you say, is a columnist for the for the Volkskrant, yeah. uh, and he's very outspoken also on Twitter. He's very critical on, uh, especially uh, the far right of the political spectrum, and uh, whenever he is. Uh, uh, critical about them, or uh, yeah, he, he says uh, something, uh, um, uh, 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 or, or the, the criticism is always from that side. Oh, the the count is uh, is yeah. uh, is saying something <laughs> again because he is uh, he's a technically a count. Um, and yeah, he, he is, likes uh, to pick fights with uh, F A Day and yeah, yeah, active right wingers on Twitter, doesn't he? Yes, yeah. and he once called me a sideline inhabitant. Oh, so, right, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I also fell victim on the, <laughs> on his uh, punchy, uh, in, in one of his punchy tweets because yeah. he likes to call people some names as us uh, uh, very often. So uh, yeah, I was also a victim of that. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So what, what, what was the reason for uh, for that? How do you attract his attention? I think it was because uh, Boris Johnson uh, contracted coronavirus Mm. uh, and um, a television show was more trending on social media than Boris Johnson. So he said, how is it possible that in this country we are more interested in some sort of reality TV program than uh, a world leader uh, 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 being sick? Yeah. being sick and at that time um, uh, 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 it, it, there was a possibility that he might die of it of course yeah. um, but I pointed out that he was looking at his uh, personal trending list rather than the actual trending list and that was uh, something he had a, a difficult time uh, oh, accepting right, okay. so yeah. yeah that was I think that was that was the that was the uh, the, 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 the reason why he yeah. uh, was annoyed with me yeah. I'm not entirely sure anymore yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's like that thing when people say on Twitter or Facebook say why do I keep getting all these weird adverts for stuff you say it's the algorithm it's, it's your ser- algorithm. It's, it's your own yes. search history you're telling on yourself <laughs> exactly so um, yeah that was uh, I pointed out to, uh, I pointed that out to him and he uh, right. didn't really like that he took exception to it yeah yes. I'm imagining quite a blunt way yeah, in a kind of Viesma-esque maybe is uh, <laughs> something we'll get uh, we'll get to in due course um, but you've been fact checking uh, the late night uh, television news tell us about that 
Yes, well, Newser um, uh, 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 made some revelations about the Funksy Elder scandal last week. Uh, it is uh, that's too complicated to uh, dive into completely right now, but um, uh, it has something to do with uh, the trust for parliamentary trust for Mark Rutte, uh, who had lied in that uh, scandal and uh, yeah was caught lying. That was that was the, the main problem. Um, this scandal. Uh, uh, emerged during uh, the formation of a new coalition. And coincidentally, a group of uh, parliamentary historians uh, just revealed their report on a uh, evaluation of that formation process. And they presented that to parliament last week. Uh, and that report was written based on uh, interviews with over 60 people that were involved in this formation process. Newsur wrote an article about that because they heard about this evaluation report and they thought, oh, all these interviews, that's very nice. Let's uh, put in a freedom of information request. We would like to see what's, uh, what's in these interviews. Um, they weren't given these interviews because they were done completely confidentially. And uh, Newsu was, I think, a little bit annoyed by that. So they uh, had a headline saying that uh, transcripts of uh, the interviews with uh, formation uh, 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 people were destroyed mm. by the Tweede Kamer, even though that was yeah, meant to be done from the outset. These interviews were done confidentially with the historians and only the Tweede Kamer stenographers transcribed these interviews but after they handed it to the um, uh, historians these these uh, transcripts were then deleted by the Tweede Kamer because they were never meant to be archived uh, at the parliament so I I actually read this report so I knew what was going on <laughs> so I tried to mitigate the damage a bit because I think it was a little bit um, that headline was a little bit um, uh, careless I think yeah uh, a lot of people on on, on social media there is still a lot of distrust regarding this yeah. scandal among uh, parliamentarians and the public and yeah. journalists. Yeah, so they're and making out it was some kind of cover-up when actually they were just following procedure. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it was all in the article as well. If you just read it, it yeah. was it was all set, uh, 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 that was all mentioned. But the headline was a little bit deceiving, I think. Um, and uh, I actually read that report, so I knew what was going on. And I also was kind of su surprised by uh, MPs who were actually present at the presentation who asked about what happened to these interviews. And the, uh, and the uh, historian said, well, uh, they were destroyed because the Tweede Kamer isn't supposed to have them. And they were all... Ex they accepted that answer, but when Newsroom came out with this uh, with this article, they were all shocked, shocked <laughs> yeah. by hearing that uh, the 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 interviews were destroyed by the Tweede Kamer. So uh, it was all very very surprising. And I think that there's a lot to say about this uh, scandal. I think, uh, but this was not it. And, this is not uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. This part was not a scandal. Yeah, and it sounds no. as if the MPs have basically read the headline and not uh, gone uh, right right into the article. Yeah, yeah, but it suits them better to just uh, yeah. uh, go along with the opav than, uh, yeah, giving the nuanced um, uh, perspective on 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 the news. So yeah, it's. Um, I thought it was a little bit uh, misleading. I think. Yeah, um, I think. Things, and yeah, I did my best to uh, to mitigate it because I haven't read that freaking report uh, <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> Not for nothing. Yeah, yeah. No. You, you needed to broadcast to the world. You read the report as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was a very someone long had to. Yeah, you, you, you had to share your pain somewhere, and yes. it was on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah. So all these uh, detours bring us uh, around to uh, a huge detour that's caused a lot of whitepeth this week. Uh, <laughs> tell us about that. <laughs> So that's a great transition. Yes, this week, uh, this week's opf comes from Amsterdam again, where a municipality trial for closing a major road has caused headaches and a gridlock in the capital. The daytime closure of the Weesperstraat, probably well known if you live in Amsterdam. Uh, that or connects, if you travel in and out of it very much. Or travel in and out of it, yeah. yes. Uh, that road connects the A10 motorway and Waterlooplein. And it is, uh, that closure is part of a six-week experiment called the KNIP. Uh, and it is supposed to monitor the pros and cons of permanently closing the busy street in uh, yeah, perhaps 2025. The municipality wants to reduce car traffic in the city, but has so far only caused chaos and major traffic jams of people trying to find alternative routes. Angry Amsterdam has posted videos online of their once quiet streets now being clogged with cars for 
14 hours, uh, mm. coincidentally the time that uh, that road is uh, is closed. Um, others posted screenshots of uh, navigation apps uh, which showed that uh, once five-minute car drives now take 45 minutes because of the detour over the A10 motorway. Uh, trams, buses, and emergency... Sur- they, it was very funny that all of a sudden everyone had a grandmother, uh, everyone had a grandmother living five minutes away yes. that needed to be... Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they can only get to by going down the, the, the Vespa start. Yeah. Yes, yes. And they, uh, they, they, they all needed to, um, to give her a ride... Uh, uh, for some reason exactly, uh, yeah. last week in order to take around a frozen meal or something yeah yes um, trams buses and emergency services were also affected by the traffic chaos and some bus lines had delays of over 60 minutes um, traffic alderman Melanie Terhorst nevertheless said the experiment is going exactly as planned <laughs> I'm not sure what exactly they planned but uh, obviously they planned 14 hour traffic jams so <laughs> <laughs> yes I think so yes um and uh, yeah, depending on the outcome of the trial, the city will follow up, follow it up with more closures to limit uh, through traffic in the city. And the Weesperstraat itself, that's also a funny side uh, side note, has been turned into a temporary park, complete with trees, picnic tables, and a plastic grass mat. Ah. Um, and that uh, yeah uh, caused a lot of uh, ridicule on the internet because uh, you know the. Um, self-proclaimed green city council uh, yeah. is now putting up plastic on uh, on the street. Yeah. But presumably, so, if, they, uh, if they've closed it permanently, they would actually sow real grass, right? Who knows? Yeah, we don't. I <laughs> don't know what so. they're. Yeah. Is, it, so, is this yeah, the same type of plastic pitch that um, they've uh, been taking up in football stadiums? Because it turns out that uh, they, uh, the the plastic surface can cause cancer. <laughs> I think so. Yes, they thought so, uh, we get we get rid of the car traffic, yeah. so we need another thing. We get that, rid of uh, these that, exhaust fumes, so we need to da- yes. endanger people's health in some other way. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. It, I have to say that um, um, I mean I understand that you don't want. Uh, your historic city center clogged with traffic uh, on a normal day, but but um, the closure of such a important thoroughfare just is uh, yeah probably not the wisest solution I think. No, but, uh, but there were some really good memes on the other hand on Twitter of uh, p- yeah. people like sharing maps right where they said I was trying to get to, uh, I was trying to get to Vatelopplein and I had to go via Norway or Spain or sort of all or the way to Mongolia and back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the first time I saw that joke, it was very funny. But after the fiftieth time, yeah, it wasn't yeah, that funny anymore. Yeah. Fortunately, there was a uh, Titanic uh, submer- submarine that uh, 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 very soon took over the world. The, took over the, meme duty. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Another week, another collapse of the agriculture agreement talks, but this time possibly for good. Education Minister Dennis Wiersma resigned after new complaints about his temperament. You spelled his name wrong. How dare you spell his name wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Are you an idiot? (laughs) It is Mr. Wiers for you. Um... Ophef at universities after that other education minister, Robert Dijkgraaf, revealed his plan. I think I also misspelled his name. I now come to think no, of it. Uh, two, yeah, he's only got one, he's got one, one F, right? He spelled one Robert F, yes. correctly. He did Robert correctly with two Bs. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Dijkgraaf is not with double F. No. Um, he released uh, his plans to reduce the number of international students. We have lots of short news. Also lots of cricket news and Teal is the unlikely location of a newly discovered Dutch Stonehenge. Oh, wow. Yes. You, uh, you will be uh, surprised to hear what, they, what they're planning to do with this uh, archaeological site. Uh, are they going to uh, cause 40, block it off and cause 14-hour traffic jams in Teal? Who knows? <laughs> Long-running talks on the future of the agriculture industry have collapsed after the farmers' lobby group LTO pulled out on Wednesday afternoon. Farming Minister Pete Adamas said it was a very sad day and a massive missed opportunity to start the transition to a sustainable future. Adamas said the government had made major concessions to the sector and 95% of the deal was done, but the farmers were unable to take the final step. Other parties to the talks, including supermarkets and environmental firms, said there was now no point continuing without the farmers on board, so the talks have ground to a halt. The government will now discuss what measures to take at Friday's cabinet meeting, but there is no prospect of the talks restarting before the autumn. 
Uh, and what reason did uh, Short van der Tak, the chairman of LTO, give for uh, pulling out? Yeah, Short van der Tak, with, with his very unconvincing hairline, um, uh, said that the talks had become bogged down, which is an appropriate metaphor, I guess, in, in intentions. And in his words, farmers cannot live on intentions. Uh, perhaps they can on genetically modified intentions, but uh, not the ones they have now. According to NOS, who obtained details of the draft agreement, the cabinet was prepared to guarantee minimum prices for sustainable products and more flexibility in deciding how farmers achieved nature targets. In return, all farm produce would have to meet sustainability standards by 2035. Among the sticking points were that the farmers had wanted more money from nature management and they were reluctant to accept a maximum number of cattle per hectare. And they hmm. distrusted Finance Minister Sikigach and the Coalition Party Desis and Zestach because they want to stick to the deadline of 2030 for meeting the nitrogen emission targets. I have to say, um, uh, Sjoerd van der Tak, uh, uh, the, the proposals by the uh, uh, Agriculture Ministry weren't only intentions, but they were literally worth billions and billions of, uh, of euros. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was uh, a lot of money to spend. And I think, uh, yeah, it's uh, probably a missed opportunity for the agriculture sector uh, for pulling out now, because uh, now the government is, is just going to dictate uh, what has to be done without uh, consulting the uh, representatives of the farming sector. So yeah. uh, I, yeah. I think this is, uh, they have shot themselves in the foot now, even though uh, there is still a possibility that uh, that they will uh, come back to the table. But yeah, it is, that is just uh, uh, yeah, it's something we have to wait and see. Yeah, I think um, there are quite heavy hints that they're going to come back to the table in the autumn, possibly, and maybe this is just a, a pause. Um, but uh, as you say, we'll see. Yeah. Um, but this agriculture agreement that just failed uh, was supposed to be the cornerstone of the government's nitrogen plans. Yeah. Uh, how are these uh, now going to? Uh, what wh- what's going to happen to uh, to these plans now? Well, they're kind of just like uh, stuck between a rock and a hard place, uh, really, or uh, more dead in a ditch. Uh, since this is uh, Dutch farming, cool. the the agricultural agreement is one of the central planks of the government's uh, whole nitrogen strategy, as you say. Uh, because without the guarantees about their future, farmers can't really make decisions about whether or not they accept uh, the government's wildly attractive bailout deal. Um, yes, and the farmers are, of course, the the, the major source of nitrogen pollution yes. in the country. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, 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 it's just, livestock farming particularly is responsible for about yeah. 45%, I think, of nitrogen uh, nitrogen deposits in uh, nature nature areas, which is, of course, what they have to reduce. Um, and the Council of State's ruling from 2019, which kicked the whole process off and uh, yeah, basically uh, required the government to cut uh, nitrogen emissions, uh, that still stands. The legal deadline of 2035 uh, to cut nitrogen compound emissions by, I think, 74% is edging closer, not to mention the fact the coalition agreement still mentions 2030 as an accelerated deadline, but only Deza and Zestok are still rooting for that. All of the other coalition parties, most of the opposition, the Senate and the farming sector, all are in favour of pushing it back to 2035. Um, and the Farmers Party BBB is now starting to form coalitions in the provinces, uh, which also have uh, said that uh, they're going to uh, work towards a 2035 deadline, not 2030. They also oppose, of course, compulsory buyouts if the voluntary ones aren't taken up, and that kind of muddies the picture further as well. And then we have, of course, the um, announcement by uh, Wopke Hoekstra a couple of months ago that uh, CDA wants to reopen the coalition agreement yeah. on this exact point, on this uh, uh, 2030 deadline. Um, then um, when he announced that, uh, there was a, uh, a a crisis meeting of, of the cabinet and it was agreed that the CDA would wait until the outcome of the agriculture agreement, which now has stranded, and also the outcome of the coalition agreements in the 12 provinces. Um, and based on that uh, 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 Hoekstra would decide if he would still reopen uh, the the coalition agreement. What do we think these uh, new developments will um, uh, make uh, Wop Hoekstra do? Will he reopen it or really say it's okay or do you have an idea? Um, I don't know. I, th- I think you can only speculate, but uh, I mean, Hoekstra has uh, said he wants to do this and he's got the farmers on his side. The CDR, of course, are going into coalition in most of the provinces, uh, whereas Dezen Zestig are not going into coalition in, well, possibly, probably in Utrecht, but nowhere else. So, yeah, the, the, I, th- I think the CDR have the upper hand. They have the stronger hand here. Um, so I think he, he will definitely ask for reopening the agreement. The only thing is, of course, uh, Dezen Zestig will then ask for something in return. So there will have to be some kind of horse trading. 
going on um, and uh, we don't know what that is if they ask for any concessions on migration of course that uh, might well uh, be a, uh, become a sticking point for the Fefe day so it could get very messy I think um, and the other thing to say about the, the other thing I, have, I think interesting thing about the deadlines is that just uh, is I was reminding myself uh, this morning that the 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 and the CDR and the, the the farmers go on about this deadline of 2035, which is what's in law. But actually, there are three deadlines. It's a staggered deadline. The 2035 is the deadline to cut nitrogen emissions by 74%, but they're still also still expected to cut them by half by 2030. And there's an even earlier deadline to cut uh, reduce uh, the, the, to get down to 40%, and that's 2025. Five. That hmm. is like you know, and one and a half years. That is yes. eighteen months away, and you know, yeah. the, 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 so every month that you lose in these negotiations makes that really hard to hit. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, that is uh, everyone is so focused on that 2035, yeah. 2030 debate that they are forgetting the the the, the other um, deadlines, as you say, um, and also I, th- I think one person didn't forget about it, and that is probably uh, uh, Van der Balm, the, the nitrogen minister. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, they she probably had expected the agriculture agreement to have. Uh, been reached many months uh, ago already. Uh, yeah, that's not the case. So she uh, is probably also, uh, yeah, uh, getting a little bit worried now. Um, yeah. I can imagine. Um, and also, just to m- going back to the CDA now. I think you have read the NRC, but if you read the Trouw newspaper, then uh, <laughs> their analysis said that the CDA's negotiation position has just worsened because of ah. all the. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's as you say, it's just speculating, and it is also uh, we're gonna have to wait and see what the, what is going to happen. But it's going to be a busy summer, I think, both for everyone involved in the uh, agriculture uh, agreement talks and the cabinet. So. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, perhaps we should also uh, uh, just uh, skip our summer break and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just keep talking. Yeah, keep talking. I think we should just go and stand stand outside a big heavy wooden door and uh, <laughs> where, where, where the farmers and probably a barn door that, that, that the farmers <laughs> are having their torts behind, because uh, along with all Possibly. the rest of the Dutch media. Yes. Education Minister Dennis Wiersma announced on Thursday via Twitter that he will resign following a series of complaints about his intimidating behavior. It hasn't been an easy decision, the VVD minister wrote on Twitter, but his resignation has now become unavoidable. The first complaints about Wiersma's temper surfaced in April. A long list of aides, advisors and staff members of Wiersma had quit their jobs or ended up with a burnout as a result of his overly demanding and intimidating behavior towards them. Uh, One incident involved the education minister shouting at a school director during a visit to a school in The Hague. And the VVD minister acknowledged the accusations and promised to talk to the people who made the complaints and offer his apologies and also to better himself. Uh, Wiersma was then summoned to the VVD faction in parliament and was given a last chance after a two-hour meeting. And at the VVD party conference two weeks ago, he repeated that he had learned his lesson and his promise that the anger outbursts won't, outbursts won't happen again. But on Wednesday, the Telegraaf reported that People from the school inspectorate recently complained that they had an unpleasant experience during a meeting with the minister. It wasn't uh, explained what, how exactly uh, that unpleasant experience yeah. looked like, but it was uh, uh, probably enough for the uh, uh, for the education minister to resign. Uh, yeah, he had promised that it won't happen again, and then it happened again. So yeah, he uh, he ha- actually had no choice. Yeah, he's, he's um, exactly. He did sort of. A, he said, yeah, he'd um, uh, yeah, he he made his bed and he had to lie in it. I guess. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, he wrote his um, uh, uh, announcement on Twitter, and in the first sentence, he made a spelling mistake, mm. so uh, or an interpunction mix- mistake, I have to say. So, uh, yeah, he, I just uh, hope he wrote that tweet himself, and it wasn't some uh, t- teenage intern or something. Because, uh, wasn't one of his nineteen communication <laughs> staff members, <laughs> exactly, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. who yeah. now all have to search for a new uh, new challenge uh, in their career. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, and also it was a sad moment for inflatable flamingo uh, factories in China. Yes, of course. Um, these were all very obscure references. <laughs> <but> <laughs> extremely obscure <laughs> references, yeah. 
Um, the new complaint was uh, yeah, one too many and it prompted Riesma to resign. Um, he was uh, seen by some as a potential successor of Mark Rutte as leader of the VVD party. Uh, and the prime minister described Riesma's resignation in a statement as a shame, adding that we are losing someone who had put his everything into education. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this seems to have been a bit of a trend this week because the, uh, uh, d- d- it emerged on Friday that the chair of the uh, Senate, uh, Jan Anthony Brown, has uh, issued a statement uh, saying he regretted his uh, inappropriate behaviour towards uh, some of his staff. Um, and uh, yeah. Brown, of course, is at the moment uh, well, he, he is uh, up for re-election as uh, chair of the Senate. It's not clear actually if he is going to uh, stand as a candidate, but on Tuesday there is an election for the new chair because every time a new Senate is elected, uh, they also, the new senators then elect a new chair. Um, and Brown has, uh, yes, yeah, has, has been been accused of um, yes, speaking inappropriately towards his uh, staff and, in, uh, and uh, intimidating behaviour, and he now said that he said that he he was too much focused too much on micromanagement and gave in too easily to his emotions. Uh, so, it, 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 which all resembles Dennis Riesma's. It does sound very similar very to Dennis Riesma, yeah. yeah, and yeah. I mean, he still has the support of uh, several parties, including the BBB, who are now the largest party in the Senate. So, um, but uh, yeah, he, he, we will know at the beginning of next week whether he uh, is going to uh, put himself forward again for re-election as uh, chair of the Senate. It did seem very, uh, yeah, the timing of, of this leakage seems very uh, suspicious, I have to say. Just, mm. uh, uh, yeah, a week before, uh, two weeks before the uh, yeah, re-election of the, uh, of the chairmanship. Um, but still, it's um, both Riesma and uh, jan Anthony de Bruyne, they, they both look like very nice guys yeah. right uh, you can uh, have a nice beer with and a nice chat with very gezellig yeah, yeah but, uh, very very professional as well but uh, yeah. yeah and p- apparently behind closed doors they uh, they are completely different people and it also resembles a little bit Mark Rutte who is also known to be uh, yeah sometimes having uh, 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 outbursts and um, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, throwing with doors and stuff like that. So, yeah, you've heard this. Um, you said, I think it was not Geert Wilders one time said that uh, Rutte was given to like sort of tearing down the curtains and uh, during meetings and that kind of thing. Yeah, that could happen. Yeah. Uh, the difference probably is, or at least that's uh, uh, what we always heard whenever Mark Rutte had a, uh, uh, has an anger outburst, he always immediately apologizes to that person. And that's yeah. something that uh, didn't happen with Dennis Wiersma, for example. Yeah. Because, and I think uh, as well, I think the difference is possibly that in the case of Wiersma and also with Brown, that they were uh, dealing, that they were talking to subordinates, so people who are actually yeah. in their direct employment, whereas uh, Rutte tends to kick off in meetings with colleagues or other party leaders. So people are on his level uh, and who don't yeah. uh, feel like they can't talk back to him right. yes so there, yeah. there's a uh, not so much of a hierarchy yeah. problem there yeah uh, but still it is uh, it, it, it did resemble when I first heard of uh, of, uh, of of Dennis Riesma's uh, accusations it re- immediately reminded me of uh, of Mark Rutte um, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, um, uh, the the people in uh, at the uh, in the Torrent, you will be happy that they will uh, not have a uh, <laughs> uh, a successor in uh, in Dennis Wiersma. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so yeah, good uh, news for the doors in the Torrent. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and the curtains as well. Yeah, but, and, <laughs> and, and Anthony Brown has also said he will um, uh, he will work on a kind of self improvement uh, yeah. the, the, the trajectory. So it does all have uh, uh, very strong echoes of. Uh, Dennis Viersma, who said he was going to work on himself and seek external help, um, uh, but it didn't save him uh, because he didn't actually, uh, having promised to not to do it, that it wouldn't happen again, it did in fact happen again. And Jan Anthony de Bruyne is also a VVD politician, it has ah, to be said. Yes. Uh, there's also been uh, in other political news um, uh, we've heard how the health ministry uh, absolutely wasted millions of euros uh, during the pandemic on uh, 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 substandard face masks. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. The Dutch government prioritized politically sensitive bidders for protective equipment contracts at the start of the coronavirus pandemic because it was anxious about negative publicity, according to a report by Deloitte that was sent to the Tweede Kamer this week. The health ministry set up a VIP lane of uh, 239 bidders out of 3,600 offers to buy, for example, face masks, but also other protective gear 
and machines. Um, the VIP is mostly consisted of big businesses and politically well-connected entrepreneurs, many of them, uh, many of whom had little or no experience of importing medical equipment before the pandemic began. One of them, the most famous example, is Sigurd van Linde, an outspoken media personality and CDA member who profited 20 million euros from a non-profit organization that was awarded a 100 million euro contract to provide face masks, uh, which turned out to be uh, yeah, substandard and useless. Uh, Health Minister Hugo de Jonge urged civil servants to deal with Van Linde, arguing that it would be better to have the influential political commentator inside pissing out than outside pissing in in what remains a very disturbing and disgusting quote. <laughs> Rather appalling quote, yeah. Yeah, but it does seem here that the, 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 the government uh, w- wanted, uh, the, first of all, there was an urgency, of course, to order as many face masks as possible, but also they were terrified of negative publicity. And so yeah. they gave the contracts to all their friends because that was the quickest and easiest route. And also, of course, I guess they were worried that Stephen van Lieden, if he didn't get the contract, was going to be dis- a disruptive nuisance on, on, on Twitter because he'd been and very, he was, very he- active in... Calling for uh, the, uh, the face masks to be um, imported as quickly as possible, and he was already doing that, right? He yeah. was already writing critical Twitter yeah. threads, and he was, uh, and that was the the the, the point that uh, the health ministry or the political advisors of Hugo de Jonge said, well, it might be better to just uh, 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 um, uh, award him this deal because otherwise, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, he, he, he will stir the public opinion so much against us that uh, trust will fall uh, completely. Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, it was an interesting. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. He's basically given a hundred. Yeah. He's given a hundred million contract to shut him up. Really, which is yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah which is a very expensive muzzle. Uh, um, and uh, but but it wasn't just Van Linden because one of the things we found out from this um, Deloitte report is that there were other face mask cowboys, basically people who had no experience of imported medical gear, being awarded uh, extremely lucrative contracts. Gordon, would you trust a car dealer? Well, uh, yeah, this is the thing. Yeah, was he a used car dealer? or a It was a Ferrari car a dealer. Ferrari car dealer, right. Fritz Kroemans, uh, he earned an estimated 35 million euros from buying medical gowns. And another person who managed to secure a lucrative deal, and that was also one of the most uh, striking examples, that was uh, Sjoerd Fauser. He is a CEO of a company that produces sustainable coat hangers, yeah. which doesn't seem <laughs> to me like a very lucrative business or a sound business model, but okay. Uh, he received an advance payments of uh, 30 million euros from the health ministry to import breathing apparatus and another and another 17.5 million for chinese face masks fauser and he, this is also uh, yeah, the interesting thing he earned his place on the vip list through the partner of his father that was former pvda senator and interior minister guusje ter horst uh, her uh, former co-worker was a chair of a um, organization of uh, general practitioners, I think. Yeah. And so she emailed her and she emailed the health minister um, recommending Short uh, as a uh, trustworthy uh, partner. And uh, yeah, that was the reason basically that he was awarded this contract. Um, the government had set up an official purchasing channel, um, LCH, uh, but they immediately had doubts about Fauser certificates and they reduced uh, the face mask order to 8 million euros. They also requested him to return the advanced payment after he failed to deliver the breathing machines uh, or arrange transport for his face mask, which also turned out to be useless, by the way. Yeah. Um, and until now, only 9 million is repaid, according to the Volkscon. So, yeah, he still owes the government a lot of money. Yeah, so he made big promises and didn't deliver on them. And ultimately, we were left to, well, the government was left with a warehouse full of masks that have never been used. Yeah, as yes. with uh, Siva van Linden. So, yeah, I think there's more to come from this scandal, to be honest. Um, I, think I think so too. Yeah. There is a uh, politically, polit- there is a parliamentary inquiry committee looking into uh, how the government dealt uh, with the uh, coronavirus pandemic, but I'm not sure if they're also looking into these sort of payments. I, I, I actually don't think that is part of their um, part of their, uh, their uh, assignments. No. Yes, but uh, yeah, it is definitely something that should be looked into. And of course, they uh, everyone knew 
at the start of the pandemic, the health ministry itself said it as well. We are in desperate need of all these protective gear. So uh, there's there are there's bound to be we are bound to be making uh, mistakes while ordering them, try to get them. But um, yeah, if if they were more preoccupied with the um, yeah public image of the health ministry, it is uh, that the, then they didn't have that priority straight, and it is. Uh, might be a little little bit less uh, unforgiving than uh, than them just uh, yeah wasting money in trying to uh, to protect us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it seems to be in a case of uh, who you know rather than what you know. They they, they, they passed yeah. over companies that actually had experience of doing this and and could source good quality medical equipment uh, because their friends and their contacts are able to get it quicker. And um, yeah, and 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 and, and they were worried about damage limitation. Universities should be required to teach two-thirds of bachelor degrees in Dutch unless there are exceptional reasons to offer tuition in English. Education Minister Robert Dijkgraaf sketched out his plan in Parliament this week in an attempt to curb the rapid rise in international student numbers. Around 15% of students at Dutch universities are from outside the Netherlands and 28% of undergraduate degrees are taught entirely in English. Dijkgraaf wants to stop Dutch students being squeezed out and says international students who do come here should be encouraged to learn the language and stay here after they finish studying. My starting point is that the language of education is Dutch, Dijkgraaf said. If you want to give a few specialist subjects in English, that is allowed. Exceptions are possible, but they will need special permission. Yes, uh, and uh, um, the universities and academics have not uh, uh, responded positively on this plan, right? They uh, they had a lot of criticism. Yeah, that's not gone down well at all. Um, in fact, they're quite alarmed about the potential impact of this. The University of Groningen said it was deeply concerned about the effect on staff and students and ultimately for the quality of teaching and research. Jaco de Vries, the president of the university's board, said, uh, quote, it seems the minister wants to use language as an instrument to reduce the intake of international students. Eidenhoven University of Technology, which teaches all its bachelor's and master's degrees entirely in English, also weighed in. Mm. Robert Jan Smits, the president of the executive board, said a language quota would damage both his university and the country's international standing. And I also spoke earlier this week to David Schindler, an associate professor of economics at Tilburg University, who told me that the quality of teaching and research at Dutch universities would suffer if opportunities for English language uh, academics were restricted. What we know is um, that whenever a country has, for whatever means necessary, expelled its leading group of scientists, then it has become um, much weaker scientifically. And we've seen that um, with uh, Germany expelling um, a Jewish scientist, which of course was an extreme event, but kind of like um, the underlying effect is going to be the same if you make Dutch mandatory in the sense that some people who are really good in terms of doing research, they are in international competition, so they will voluntarily want to maybe work someplace else. And so these people are going to leave, not delivering the high-quality research that they did, and this is going to um, reduce innovation in the long run. And innovation is the key driver that causes economies to grow, and especially in today's world where we're seeing that um, everybody's using the buzzword, the the knowledge economy all the time, but that's exe- mm. essentially what the Netherlands um, would be at risk to not be anymore. And if you're a patron of this podcast, you can listen to a longer version of that interview that we've just released on via our Patreon page. Yeah, and it seems a little bit uh, odd that uh, 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 Robert Dijkgraaf, of all people, has uh, proposed this plan because he was uh, yeah he was in his previous life before he became a minister of course a a, a well regarded uh, academic at Princeton University uh, he was also the chair of the Royal Dutch uh, Scientific Institute so yeah it is uh, it seems a bit odd that he is now trying to ban the basically the lingua franca of of uh, of, of science from Dutch universities yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, and yeah, he's a executive minister as well, and that's uh, usually the party of, uh, <laughs> who are all for international connections and Europe and uh, yeah, and, and education and, educa- and education, yeah, yeah progressive so, education. Um, yeah. It is a a um, number of mounting issues. Uh, I think over the years uh, there were concerns about the quality of teaching in the Netherlands because uh, Dutch teachers do not uh, uh, speak English well enough. Another problem is that uh, international students also demand a lot of housing. Of course, uh, there's a uh, 
huge intake of international students and there's simply not enough yeah. uh, room for 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 students uh, as well as um, yeah uh, 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 whenever they graduate and they stay in the Netherlands there's also a housing shortage for uh, normal houses of course so yeah that's also a problem um, uh, but it seems to me like they are just trying to uh, yeah, solve the housing crisis by introducing this this language demand. Yeah, uh, and I have to say that uh, the number of international students and expats that then just uh, stay in the Netherlands is so low. It's 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 it's, uh, it's only a tiny percentage of of all the housing uh, in the Netherlands they occupy. So I'm not entirely convinced that it's going to solve all the problems that the ministry sees. Uh, and I, I think in the long term it will only yeah have negative effects on yeah as we said uh, the 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 international standing of the Netherlands, but also the academic level. Yeah, I mean it, it seems I think the criticism is that this is just too much of a blunt instrument, right? That uh, okay that that, that we, we can accept that there are a lot of international students students um, uh, perhaps too many some of them uh, and, and there's some degrees are offered in English that really uh, don't need to be and could better be offered in Dutch uh, for the, um, but on the other hand there are subjects uh, where Dutch universities are really excelling like technical subjects and uh, yeah. engineering where you want to teach in English because you know you, you are an university with an international reputation that attracts the best academics and the best students and, uh, and you're a showcase for the standard of Dutch academia and if all those people leave the quality of your teaching and the, and the prestige of universities inevitably goes downhill. And I think we, we, we've lost a little bit of the um, maybe the uh, nuance in this discussion. It's not so much that uh, you know, international academics are arguing that everything should be taught in English, but saying that universities themselves should choose rather than the minister yeah. uh, dictating from the top down that everything or almost everything should be taught predominantly in Dutch. Universities should be able to decide for themselves which courses are best suited to teach in English and which uh, in Dutch, and that's based on a number of factors, including you know what the, the makeup of your um, of your uh, of your department. The last thing you want is to have you know a really strong uh, department in something like computer science or engineering, and then suddenly you find that all of the teachers have to leave because they don't speak Dutch and can't teach yeah. in Dutch, and uh, yeah, then that inevitably uh, causes damage to the quality of your university, the standing of your university. I was going to say I, I I wonder how the ministry expects all the all the universities to to find enough staff in the Netherlands uh, to teach all the students. Yes, but is this is this uh, plan based on uh, an international precedent or has it been done somewhere else? Well, there is a precedent. Um, they tried it. Uh just I think about two years ago in Denmark and uh, the results have started to come in and in the words of their higher education minister Jesper Pedersen they are deeply worrying um, hmm. basically the whole thing's backfired in Denmark uh, They clo following the closure of English taught degrees uh, mainly at business academies and in professional disciplines the total number of students in technical subjects it's a total number so not just international students dropped by 10% and that's mainly because only half as many international students applied in 2022 compared to the previous year. Um, the intake dropped by 51% for English language IT courses, 24% for engineering and 94% at business academies. So in 2021, mm. Danish business academies admitted 415 students to English taught degrees. Not a massive number. I know Denmark's a smaller place, but still. But the following year, it was 22 22 okay. students to the whole, yeah, wow. in the whole country. And uh, Danish newspaper Politiken said last year that the prognosis of a shortage of intelligence workers in 2030 is an accident happening in slow motion. Yeah. And there's expected to be a shortage of 22,000 IT specialists in Denmark by 2030. So this is the knock-on effect that you have. Suddenly you find you've yeah. got a labor crisis. You know, we've already got a, uh, issues with um, a growing shortage of uh, uh, key workers. Uh, that's not going to be helped if suddenly you find that people aren't coming to your country to study these subjects anymore but Dijkgraaf has made a sort of U-turn uh, of his comments right or uh, what, what exactly did he say yeah this is kind of the thing I mean he sort of modified his comments a bit or he said that his statement to parliament was misinterpreted um, but it wasn't really I mean he said the quota <laughs> would only apply to the registered Dutch language tuition uh, but that's what the law already says it says that teaching in Dutch should be the default it's just that universities yeah. have you know not, uh, been ignoring it for years and pushing the boundaries and the ministry hasn't um, you know, brought them back in line 
So the government has kind of created this problem in many ways. They've been enthusiastically um, uh, attracting uh, international students to Dutch universities because of all the benefits that they, they bring, um, including things like that they're actually net contributors to the uh, to the economy. Um, even though lots of people have been on Twitter have been saying that they drain us of taxes. Uh, Dijkhoff also said there were plenty of situations where foreign language teaching was appropriate. Uh, it could be, for example, teaching world-class violinists in Italian or even teaching physiotherapy in German at universities hmm. like Twente, which are right on the border. So in the end, in true Dutch fashion, it's all going to come down to money. Uh, Dijkhoff said, the big question is, do we think it's responsible to use our community funding to support courses in other languages? Yeah, so uh, there's, uh, uh, the debate is, is not over yet. And yeah. Uh, yeah, if you want to um, uh, hear the opinion of uh, of david schindler you can uh, uh you can listen to that if you are a patreon listener or if you become one and that's a nice transition to the next segment it is the supporters of this podcast can indeed unlock the full interview with david schindler and all our other bonus content including the upcoming summer special which we're working on right now and we're very excited about yeah we only have to listen to uh, 30 podcast episodes <laughs> it's, to, uh... yeah. Yeah, it's a marathon so, pl- <laughs> so please uh, give us some money and listen to this podcast it uh, has uh, taken up an enormous amount of our time uh, but you can become a patron by signing up for as little as a euro a dollar or a pound a month at patreon New patrons earn themselves a shout-out on the podcast, as well as our continued and sincere thanks, because uh, I know we say it every week, but we really do depend on your donations to keep putting in the hours so that we can keep you up to date on everything that's going on in the Netherlands. And as a patron, you also get the chance to put your questions to us. And this week, uh, we have a question from a long-standing supporter, uh, Eric Browning, who's been backing us for four years. But despite our best mm. efforts, he's decided he's going to move to Amersfoort, which is a fine choice. From where? From, where? from Canada, I think. Yeah. Okay, wow. Can- yes. Canadian, yeah. A, f- a fine choice of a, a place for relocation, yes, I think, yeah, Amersfoort. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so congratulations to Eric, uh, and we hope uh, you're enjoying your new hometown. Although, by the sounds of it, um, yeah, finding a home's been a bit of a sticking point, because Eric has had his first encounter with the blob that is Dutch administration. (laughs) He says, uh, why is it that every time I want to look at an apartment for rent, I have to apply to a different website, create a paid account, and then provide more information than I would for a mortgage application in Canada just to get a listing? I think I found the problem with your housing market, and it has nothing to do with affordability. And then he asks uh, if there are ways to get around this um, process. Can he actually speak to a human being rather than filling in endless forms? Um, to which I say, welcome to the Netherlands, uh, Eric. But uh, I did have a quick look into this. And the short answer is that uh, there are brokers, there are rental agents. Um, when you look up for brokers, it's mainly for brokers for landlords. But you can actually get uh, an agent to help you with finding a home to rent. And the best advice I'd say is uh, contact the NVM. It's the Nederlandse Vereniging van Makelaars or the Dutch Association of Estate Agents. Um, some of them do offer the service of um, helping you cut through the ribbons and the red tape of finding a house for rent uh, although obviously they will charge you for it but their website's not great but it's got contact details so that you can ring them up and talk to a human being only the sun comes up for free in this country <laughs> afraid so yeah and even that is not a guarantee If you'd like to join our select band of podcast patrons, log on to www.patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dutchnewsnl. Plenty of short news this week, beginning with new rules on plastic packaging for the takeaway food industry that will come into effect on July 1st. The measures are aimed at reducing plastic waste from the food industry and will probably mean higher prices for consumers. From next week, cafes, petrol stations, supermarkets, snack bars, McDonald's restaurants, whatever, are no longer allowed to sell takeaway food in plastic packaging without an additional fee. As an alternative, they can use more environmentally friendly uh, options or ask customers to bring their own cups, cutlery and buckets, but uh, this is expected to be widely ignored. The government has recommended a 5 cent charge for small packages, 25 cents for plastic cups and 50 cents for a meal box. Every day 90 million plastic cups and takeaway food packages are thrown away in the Netherlands according to government figures. 
Uh, and if you are listening to uh, us from uh, the United Kingdom, you might be uh, very pleased that you uh, have left the European Union because this is all thanks to Brussels and their new rules, which will be uh, even uh, become more tightened uh, in 2025. Yeah, although it does mean that we have cleaner seawater than in the uh, in the UK, where sewage is spilling out onto beaches, and there's a big scandal about that. So that's right. Just to mention very quickly a point as well, given that we're, since we mentioned the deadline of July the first, uh, July the first is the day that we lose the. Uh, discount on petrol so oh fill up your car this week because otherwise yes. it's gonna be 17 cents more expensive per liter or go to belgium well it's after july the first belgium will be cheaper again in fact belgium and germany are expecting a cavalry charge of dutch motorists at the start of july well, hopefully that cavalry will not attack our navy because we will lose next uh, story a danish there's Denmark again. A yep. Danish current affairs show claims that several trawlers from the Dutch former island of Urk are being used to smuggle drugs into Denmark. The program has interviewed police officers, experts and a Dutch fisherman who said he was involved in smuggling cocaine into Danish ports. The drugs, wrapped in bubble plastic and fitted with a transmitter, uh, were thrown overboard in the North Sea from ships originating from South America and subsequently fished out by the Urka boats and then taken to Denmark. The orders for the Urk fishermen came from drug criminals in Amsterdam with close, close ties to South American drug barons. Was there Quincy Promes uh, involved <laughs> in this? <laughs> Possibly, even though he's now a Russian uh, uh, drug criminal, isn't he? Yeah. The claim the Dutch trawlers are involved in drug trafficking isn't new, but the shift to Denmark is a new development. In 2018, the entire crew of a Urker fishing boat were sentenced to prison for six years for their role in cocaine smuggling. The mayor of Urk declined to comment on the Danish findings, but he did say uh, to local uh, broadcaster Omroep Flevoland that he wasn't immediately shocked by the news, right. which is uh, probably everything you need to know about um, Urk. Yeah. What, yeah. what he thinks and what and about Urk indeed. <laughs> Going back to uh, Amsterdam again, uh, Mayor Femke Halsma announced that the plans for a new erotic center will be slimmed down to create fewer party venues. Two years ago, a council majority voted in favor of a plan to move a substantial number of brothels from the capital's red light district to a purpose-built erotic center. But the plan has faced fierce opposition in all 11 proposed locations. Is the Vespastrat uh, one of the proposed locations? <laughs> <laughs> well, they have enough space uh, in the near future. <laughs> exactly, yeah. There, You've got so, lots yeah. of nice open space now. Yes. Um, in an effort to boost support, the mayor has now made proposals to limit nuisance for the erotic center's neighbors. Uh, potential neighbors, I have to say. A recent poll by local uh, paper Het Parole suggested that 53% of Amsterdamers are against any kind of erotic center, while only 20% support one. The mayor insists, however, that things have to change in the red light district, uh, which attracts uh, hundreds of thousands of tourists every year. Um, and uh, it seems that the recent um, campaign uh, in Britain to uh, discourage people uh, from having their stack parties in Amsterdam isn't working no. as much as they hoped, surprisingly. Yeah, it's backfired as badly as uh, Robert Dijkgraaf's policy on Dutch language <laughs> education. Sports news, and we start, where else, with the cricket. Yes, I'm very excited. Very excited, yes. yeah. The Dutch national team are in Zimbabwe trying to secure one of the two qualifying places for the World Cup in India later this year. They didn't get off to a great start. They lost their opening match to the host nation. In a very high-scoring game, the Dutch equaled their highest ever total in a one-day international. They scored 315 in their 50 overs, including uh, 88 for Vikramjit Singh, who put on 120 for the opening wicket with Max O'Dowd, while Captain Scott Edwards bagged 83. But Zimbabwe responded with an unbeaten 102 from Sikandar Raza after 54 balls. Uh, Raza also took the crucial wickets of Singh, O'Dowd and Wesley Baresi and was rightly named man of the match. In their second hmm. match, the Dutch picked up a vital win against the United States, who are probably their main rivals for a place in the next stage. The USA could only make 211 for 8 in their 50 overs, as seam bowler Ryan Khan struck twice in the first 6 overs, and then an unbeaten 67 from Scott Edwards and 58 by Teanindo Manuru helped the Dutch reach their target for the loss of just 5 wickets. So on Saturday, Orania take on Nepal, and then on Monday they play the West Indies, hoping that by that time both teams will already have qualified for the Super 6 stage. Did that make sense? Uh, not at all. <laughs> um, 
This is more complicating than uh, the Nations League uh, or or Dutch ballot paper. Well, that 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 one I understand. Okay. So uh, yeah, mixed result for the cricketers, uh, uh, f- footballers. Uh, are they doing any better or not? No, they're not. Um, ah. Did you watch the third place playoff of the Nations League finals in Enschede Bowl? I was very excited by that. I uh, <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No, you're too busy rearranging your collection of paper clips or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you missed nothing uh, apart from yet another debacle in Orange that uh, Ronald Koeman described as embarrassing. Mm. The Dutch men's team were two goals down in 20 minutes. Uh, that's not the first time that's happened this year. In fact, against France in their last Euro 2024 qualifier, there were three goals down in 20 minutes. So maybe it's oh. an improvement. But both times, Frederico Di Marco was left unopposed uh, to run up from the left back position and cross from the byline. He rounded off the first move himself after six minutes and then set up Davide Fratesi for the second. Aurania did improve marginally after half-time Steven Bergfein uh, pulled one goal back but then Federico Chiesa restored the Italians' two-goal lead and uh, Giorginio Vanaldum could only manage a late consolation so Italy won 3-2 Koeman has now lost three of his four matches since returning as national team manager do you remember which team the Dutch have beaten this year? Gibraltar? yes, Gibraltar, well done Ah. Yeah, 3-0 against uh, Gibraltar so, hmm. so hang on to that. Uh, the next games are the following Euro 2024 qualifiers in September uh, against Greece in Eindhoven on September the 7th and then a trip to Ireland on September the 10th. I impressed you with my answer, right? I, yeah, you did, yeah. <laughs> so is there any good sports news at all this week or except this cricket, of course? Yeah, there's reasonable news in the cricket, but uh, some uh, good news in tennis. So Talon Kriegspor ah. has won a tournament. Uh, second tournament win of the season for him uh, in Rossmalen, which has uh, uh, been a happy hunting ground for Dutch tennis players in recent yeah. years. He beat the Australian Jordan Thompson in the final of the Netherlands preeminent grass court tournament. Thompson won the first set on a tie break. Kriegspoor turned the tables in a second set tie break and then broke his opponent twice in the final set and in fact served the match out to love. He takes over as champion from uh, Tim van Rijthoven, who's had to miss the event this year because he's uh, been struggling with an elbow injury and uh, he's about to drop down from about 150th to 400th in the rankings, I think, when he loses those points. Mm. So not good for him, uh, van Rijthoven, but Kriegspoor is heading in the right direction. He rose to 29th in the ATP rankings, uh, overtaking Botik van der Zanschulp as Dutch number one. And that also means he's hmm. seeded for Wimbledon, which uh, is starting on July the 3rd. Very exciting. And um, we should mention that Tim van Rijthoven uh, managed to uh, reach the fourth round last time in Wimbledon when yeah. he lost from Novak Djokovic, the best tennis player ever. Yes, he did. But sadly, he got no ranking points, of course, because Wimbledon banned Russians last year. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, so oh, yeah. Funny. He mini- didn't manage to uh, to get points for that in the ranking. No. Yeah. Completely forgot about that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we should also congratulate uh, Max Verstappen once again. Yeah. Uh, for his uh, sixth win of the uh, yeah championship, right? Max Verstappen seems to break three records before breakfast every morning at the moment. And uh, last <laughs> weekend, he won the 41st Grand Prix race of his career in Canada. And that equals the number of wins by one of the legends of the sport, Ayrton Senna. Senna reached the mark at the age of 33, a year before he tragically died in a crash at San Marino, while Verstappen is just 25. Um, but there are, of course, more races in the season these days, and Verstappen got his big break early with Red Bull. But it is, you know, you have to say it's a pretty impressive feat to get up to 41 race wins so quickly, so early in your career. Yeah. It's also the Red Bull team's 100th victory in Formula One, which is an achievement only four other teams have matched. And Red Bull have won all eight races this season so far. Uh, not the Italian Grand Prix, of course, that was cancelled, but Verstappen has won six, and Sergio Perez has won two. And the Dutchman now okay. leads his teammate in the Drivers' Championship by 69 points. Verstappen is also uh, breaking the record of me falling asleep. Uh, uh, <laughs> During Grand Prix, yeah. Yeah, because it's uh, it's not the most exciting season so far. No. Uh, of course, uh, Mark Verstappen doesn't care because he's winning everything. But as a neutral watcher, it's uh, it's not too exciting, unfortunately. Yeah. You basically just have to see if he gets the first corner in front. And if he does, then it's over, basically. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he has uh, taken over how Lewis Hamilton used to race a couple of years 
years ago, of course. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton won everything as well. He started at the front and he, uh, after that he was never overtaken again. And it seems that uh, Verstappen has reached that point in his career as well. But yeah, hopefully there will be uh, more competition uh, in the next races. But uh, yeah, I fear for me that uh, that's not going to happen. Archaeologists in Tiel in Gelderland have found a massive outdoor shrine dating back 4,000 years. The spectacular find was made during excavation works near an industrial estate and covers over four football fields. Even though they said it was four hectares, but a football field is half a hectare, isn't it? Well, they vary in size, don't they? But uh, yeah, they, they're, yeah, they're roughly no half fixed, a hectare. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it should be eight. No, we should fact check how large this fact check is. how but big is, this, uh, this site is yeah but it is pretty massive the location uh, was used to make sacrifices celebrations rituals and it was used as a burial site uh, and more than one million objects were found uh, including glass beads which are the oldest ever found in the netherlands yeah archaeologists say the beads can be traced back to mesopotamia which proves there was contact between the two regions archaeologists say other finds include three earth grave mounds which uh, contained the remains of 80 men women and children work began at the site on the river Waal in 2017 but the size of the location and the number of finds have been only made public on wednesday which was the longest day of the year and that's probably not a coincidence mm. because only recently the archaeologist realized one of the burial mounds was used as a massive solar calendar ah. it was surrounded by a ditch with several openings where the sun shone on the longest and the shortest days of the year prompting some to describe the archaeological site as the Dutch Stonehenge, mm-hmm. but without the stones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's a just Dutch Henge or something. Yeah. Dutch Henge, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you would expect uh, it, really, because there aren't really stones in the Dutch soil. So Yeah, yeah well, in Drenthe, of course, there are some. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, apparently they, uh, they didn't have contact with the uh, prehistoric tribe in Tiel. I think yeah, Drenthe feels further away than Mesopotamia, of course. Yeah. Some of the items will be shown at the local museum in Tiel, and others have been given to several Dutch museums of antiquities, including the Rijksmuseum of Antiquity in Leiden. Yeah. And do you know what they're going to do with this uh, archaeological site? What are they going to do with it? Uh, no, are they going to turn it into an erotic center? <laughs> you're close uh, they're going to turn it into a distribution center because okay. that was uh, that was what the uh, master plan always said the yeah. plot of land was supposed to be uh, built on so yeah that's the, they're just going to continue that and yeah. it's probably going to be a um, wholesale for eggs and other chicken products all so, oh, right um, okay yes. not really an episode of uh, indiana jones is it even though they <laughs> uh, even though they discovered it on the solstice it'd be nice to think that they you know there was some kind of a beam of light shining down on them just as they found the site um but you couldn't set indiana jones in the netherlands because he couldn't teach the dutch university anymore right that's right yeah. yes um <laughs> even though i just learned that uh, oppenheimer once traveled to the Netherlands uh, and uh, while traveling to the Netherlands learned Dutch and gave his lecture in Dutch. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, it can be done if you are a uh, nuclear physicist uh, genius. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash DutchNewsNL and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.